welcome to Birdie Me, the podcast. Powered by Backswing Golf Events. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Birdie Me, the podcast. It's your boy Nick Johnson here. Uh, unfortunately, my co-host is indisposed as of right now, so Anthony Valverde will join us later next week. But for this episode, we have... Again, Mackenzie Ling, our partner for Backswing Golf Events. Mackenzie, living the dream over there as usual. I'm always living the dream. Yes. <laughs> always living the dream. I love it. I have uh, t-shirts coming, hats coming. <laughs> We're going to start selling living the dream merchandise shortly. Um, now, Mackenzie, we have a special guest this week. Do you want to introduce who you brought up for us? Yes, I brought the one and only Amanda Sensor. Um, Amanda and I go back about 12 years. We oh. played, which sound, makes us sound old, Amanda, but um, we played professional golf together and we traveled around the country playing on the Canadian tour and uh, you know various other tours together. And then we started backswing golf events um, it'll be eight years in September. So here we are. So Amanda, can you give me a little bit of insight on, you know, in my research, you started at Pepperdine. How did you decide to switch over from softball into playing full time? Like, what was that transition like? It was a rocky one because, uh, I was a softball player and, when you turn 16, it doesn't mean you're going to make it, but you are allowed to try out for the Olympic team. So that's like what every softball player, like if you, if you want to do it as a career later in life, and that's really the only thing you can do with softball. There's not, there are professional leagues, but your body only holds up so long. It's, it's doesn't pay very well. So my goal was to try to get on that team at some point. Um, and that was the year they had pulled it from the Olympics um, to make room for wrestling. So um, that just kind of deflated my sales. And so instead of like, I, I just did golf as more of a, my grandma really wanted me to play, had always tried to get me to play. And I was like, I just want to finish high school with a sport and like, cool, we'll try golf and like, who cares? And really that was kind of the end of it. And so when I tried it and I was, you know, not very good right away. And like, we just, I started to love it. And the more you love something, the more you just dedicate yourself to it. And I just kind of kept going, but nowhere in that, like, even the first part of college, did I ever think I was going to turn pro? I just thought, wow, I really like this, like this and would like to develop my skill. And then it just kind of overnight, I realized that while I was sitting in class, as beautiful as Pepperdine is, um, I just really wanted to be out on the golf course. And, but now I look back because people say, so golf is your calling. No, I, I think I had to play professional golf in this path to get to backswing. I think backswing was my calling um, and, the, and the business. I, I think, and being a pro, you had to do that to get here. I don't think I was ever bred to go play full-time LPGA. And like, I, I think it was just a stepping stone. So um, it's interesting how life unfolds because I did not expect any of that. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I think I was about the same 
I think I just flipped a switch in my brain one day. I mean, I played in college and tried to make it professionally, but there wasn't really a moment where I just like, I'm just going to be a pro. <laughs> it kind of just, yeah, I signed right. up for a tournament yeah. as one. Um, and it kind of just snowballed from there. And then, you know, events just kind of keep rolling together and together and together. And all of a sudden you're a touring, quote unquote, a touring pro. One thing I wanted to kind of just bring up, which I didn't even know if you guys knew, but we actually have a lot in common. We're all on IMDb. Oh, boy. So <laughs> you, if you guys didn't know that, um, I was a production assistant like in college trying to make some money on the side. So I was in, um, it was a commercial for ENLA for the Oscars, like super random. I literally just got coffee for everybody for 15 straight hours. Um, but I have some film credits. Um, so having said that, Mackenzie, you were on Big Break Mexico and Amanda, you were on Holy Moly. So yes. I did do a little bit of research. Um, who wants to start first telling, telling me like, how did you guys get on those shows? Like, what was the process like? Sure. I can yeah, start I can elaborate. Um, so big break was, you know, a huge popular show. Um, and I think they stopped filming. I want to say it's been a while now that they stopped filming that show. Um, but they had auditions in Arizona at the wigwam. And my dad was like, Oh my gosh, you should go try out. Like that would be such a good show for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, what are the chances I'm going to get picked for this show? So I went out and auditioned and I felt like I had a great interview. I was like, oh my gosh, like this was so fun. Like, you know, maybe they'll pick me. And then, you know, weeks and weeks went by and I didn't hear anything. And so I was like, oh man, maybe they, you know, I guess they didn't want me. Well, then I got a call from Golf Channel and they were like, hey, Mackenzie, we want you to be on our next season of Big Break. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And I had just turned pro. So I was extremely nervous because I have no, I had no experience playing professional golf, you know, really only like six months under my belt before I got cast for the show. And it was really exciting though. And it was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life, just filming the show, being a part of it. And it was, it was awesome. So. So, so give me, give me like a short version. You guys both started at age 16. Like I think Mackenzie, you were in softball. Yes. Both in softball. Yeah. Both in softball. And seven years later, you're on a hit reality show. Like, did they, was it a personality test? Was it like a little bit of golf thrown in there? Like I watched Big Break go growing up and you would, I mean, it's for TV, right? So you want to get some personalities in there, but how much of it was like, did you have to go play 18 holes with somebody or? For the audition, you mean? Yeah, mm -hmm. we, yeah. they do an interview process and then they, you hit some balls on the range and then, you know, they kind of do their research on the backside of, who you are and, you know, your golf game, but a lot of it has to do with your personality. I'm, you know, pretty type A and I think they felt like it was going to make for good TV, which it did. If you watch my season or you go back, I just, 
I am pretty unfiltered and I think that sometimes it gets me <laughs> in trouble, but, um, yeah, I think that's why I got chosen and, and I fit right into the, to the group. Cause our show was a team show. So there were three teams of four and I think they picked personalities based on that. So. Yeah. Team Aztecs. I am a San Diego state. Well, my dad went to San Diego state, but from San Diego. Nice. So I was immediately drawn to team Aztec. Um, <laughs> I did watch a few episodes and mm. I do have a few questions. Um, <laughs> <Right>. Oh boy. <laughs> first of all, see, seeing baby McKenzie from what was it? 2014, 2013, 2013. So that was kind of like prime Jersey Shore times. Like, is that why everybody was in like, yeah. absolutely. Like I thought I was tan, like everyone was perfectly tanned out. I mean, you guys were in Mexico, so I'm sure that helped, but like, was that a prereq that everybody had to like be at a certain tan level or what, what was the story? Yeah, like? they spray tan. So funny thing, I am like, part Filipino. Like I have, you know, nice olive -y skin. And when I got there, they were like, you we're going to do spray tans. And I'm like, I don't think I need a spray tan. Like I'm already dark, you know, like I don't need a spray tan. And they were like, no, like it, it'll look good. Trust me on camera. It'll look clean and good. And I'm like, okay. And at the time, like everybody, you know, everybody did it. And they were like, this is what you got to do. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, I'm already tan. Like I don't need it, but that's just how it, how it went. Every, all the guys got spray tan too. It wasn't just the ladies. So it was an experience. Yeah. Like do you, I would imagine you burn through gloves like crazy. Cause you just have spray tan. All oh over yeah. Them, or is, was that not a thing? Yeah. I mean, the, your shirts, your clothes, like everything you, it was like on your shoulder from swinging. It was, it wasn't ideal, but looking back, what was I going to do? Tell him no, hey, no. You got to do it for I TV. Did. I honestly, I wish they brought it back. I wish they brought that show back. I think, uh, I think with social media now, it'd actually be fun to watch. Um, I have an inside scoop. But... Oh, Spill the tea. What you got? <laughs> I have an inside scoop that it's coming back in 2024. 2024. So that leaves me like a year to get ready. Get ready. <laughs> I can, uh, I'll start working on my tan and my, my game and we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, that actually brings up something funny. I was actually, well, somebody reached out to me to be on Holy Moly. And I think I actually sent it to you, Mackenzie. I was like, is this yeah. real? Because at the time, I think I had like 100 followers. So there was like very little reason for someone to reach out <laughs> to me. And then like, <laughs> I, I think it was like a month later. It was way too late for me to get on. But I wish I had like gone forward with it. So like, Amanda, when you, <laughs> I'm sure you got a similar reach out. Like, what was the thought process? Like, how did, how did you... I'm going to be on Holy Moly. Like, how did that go? Um, yeah. Random reach out and they make announcements that they're like taking auditions, open auditions. Um, 
And so I think I just submitted the paper form and then they, based on the application, they like give you a call back, um, which I got one. And then it just moves very similar to McKinsey where like you kind of hit each stage and the more stages you pass, eventually they're like, you're cast, you're on. I will say for Holy Moly, it was all about what character can you be? So they want something that stands out. So I remember in the initial interview, she was like, tell me something that like makes you totally stand out apart. And I was like, I'm a singer. I, I don't know. And that turned into this just, I was the opera singer of Holy Moly for that episode. But I, while I don't regret anything in life, I am very blessed that I got kicked off fairly quickly before I got injured because that show is not for the faint of heart. And a lot of my friends actually got really injured over it. So I was showing my friends. So I was watching your episode. I was watching with my friend and he, he was like, this is like wipeout, but with a golf club. I'm like, and it's filmed pretty much. Yep. It's filmed on the same set as wipeout. So um yeah so it's it's uh, yeah um but we it was you know it it was an experience to say the least um unlike mckenzie's i think mckenzie's show was more of a golf like you had to have good raw talent and you and you also just had to be good in front of a camera too but i think there's more of like a golf realness to it like holy moly was such a gimmicky show and like i said it was fun to be on it but looking back at all the challenges that I could have been selected for. I tell people this all the time, like the baseball that flew by my head probably missed me by a half an inch. So the fact is why was I even out there putting my like potential game on the line for a show that you make $0 off of. (laughs) So, um, but it was, it was an experience. So for our listeners, they basically, I think it was like season two, episode five, or season five, episode two, either one. But <laughs> you were going against a guy that was probably the highest personality you could ever go, go against. Had like a pink scarf around his neck. <laughs> Honestly, expect I expected him to speak French the entire time. <laughs> and then they brought they brought out a pitcher, an umpire, a catcher, and like a fake coach. Yeah. Right. And then um, you guys were expected to make like a 15 footer while this guy is literally throwing like a baseball miles an hour past your head. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, it's just so was the, was the, was the batter actually hitting them or was he no. kind of just there? He was just there. It's called the distractor. So they have like a marching band right. come out on one and like play right next to you. They have a, I think some type of other sporting where like the coach yells at you the whole time, like a, oh, a military sergeant. And so it's just to throw you off your game. Really sad backstory. We got to practice whatever our challenge was with our opponent. Like we, so there were multiple people that filmed that same one. So there's probably like six of us on that hole. And when we were doing practice, we would rotate, make a putt, you know, rotate. I drained all five of my putts in a row. And everybody in the group was like, who are you? What are you doing? And then literally just couldn't even handle the fact that I thought I was going to be hit in the head. So <laughs> I, if I ever remember, there's a part of it, like you're, 
you're taking like 15 or 20 practice strokes before you're pulling the trigger on that putt. And I can't imagine like the guy was really close to you. He was like, very close. I think you had a disadvantage. Oh, a lot. Other... I think more of it too is McKenzie can relate on the filming aspect. That putt was not the first time that we filmed. So we actually, they cropped it to where Garrett's putt that he made was actually the putt he made on the first one. And then they picked my worst of the three putts and used that and cropped it together. So it wasn't even in like real sequence. He didn't make his first putt. We went around probably four times, both missing. And then that was like my last putt they used. So like I said, McKinsey's show was very similar in the fact they have to make it work and look dramatic for TV and good. So even if it's at the expense of you. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get it. You gotta, you gotta make it look good for the audience. Yeah, right. I will say though, Mackenzie, did you ever get to break the glass? Because I watched your first episode, kind of, kind of yes. lift the glass pretty hard on all those shots. Yeah, that was. I mean, my arms were shaking; like I couldn't even feel my arms. And no, I didn't break it on the show, and they don't let you. Like, if you didn't break it, they don't let you do it again. Um. So that was unfortunate because I didn't get to break it in like during the challenge. But one of the games that backswing offers is the glass break challenge. And man, did I do I rip through that thing now? It's like not a big <laughs> deal. And I'm like, I get this revenge on this. It's not glass. It's like a, a foam board that we use that we can logo. But we use, you know, a, a similar challenge in our events. And every time it's out there, I'm like, let me do it. Let me do it. You know, just cause I didn't do it. So you're just, you're just practicing at home now, right? Yeah. You're, you're in your backyard, just hitting. <laughs> I set it up outside where I, it's, I what, practice every night. What's the, uh, what's the club of choice? Like, are you going straight like foreign or are you going kind of no more of a six iron, nine? six iron, six, Six iron. Six iron is, is the go-to. You can get it high enough, but it has to be, it has to penetrate through the board. So it has to have like, you can't just pitch a nine iron. It has to be forceful. So you put the six iron in the back of your stance and you hit a nice little punch shot. And yeah, I've got some good videos I'll send you. Don't worry. I mean, it was pretty bad on that first episode. I had to rewatch it. A few it was times. bad. Um, the nerves are like <laughs> nothing in... that you can even, there's about 30 no. cameras around you. And mind you, I have no experience even like really playing in large, large events or like professionally at all. And all of these people that I'm playing with are older than me and, or have so much more experience. I just, I couldn't even feel my arms. Like, I, I kid you not, it was like yeah. jello. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Funny how pressure does that. Now I would destroy um, it. It's different now for sure. Yeah. But yeah, that was too early in your yeah, career. Way too early. I, I think we have to put this to the test. Let's get some cameras out. <laughs> Let's get out. a glass break. <laughs> <laughs> we have to see, have you truly improved or... You know, we got additions 2024. Yeah. We got to get Great. ready. Great. Got to get ready. 
we got to get ready. We got to prime you, uh, Nick, for I it. I know. <laughs> I I think I have a solid punch-out game, so I don't think I need a whole lot of practice. When when you don't hit fairways <laughs> like I, I did growing up, you, you learn how to keep a ball knee-high for a long time. Um, okay. But I'll take – I'll take any sort of tips, any sort of tips. I'm sure you guys can kick my ass any day. Um, now, what else do we have to talk about today? The pace of play thing I wanted to bring up before I go into you guys uh, starting backswing. So poor Patrick Cantlay uh, <laughs> is taking so much heat right now yeah. for – how slow he is. I just watched uh, earlier this morning my my buddy Sean at Golf Bald. Um, shout out to at Golf Bald. But he basically compared two screenshots from Happy Gilmore to like Patrick Cantlay's pre-shot routine. And I think one of them was like the scene in Happy Gilmore where he's putting through like the clown mouth. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like in that scene. So in the time it takes for Happy to like miss the putt and get super angry and smash his club to like break the nose off the clown, Patrick Cantlay still hadn't pulled the trigger. Um, it was pretty, I still think it's edited, but it's pretty remarkable to watch. Like he did another one where I think it was like in the middle of Happy Gilmore, he like five putts, like he's right in the beginning of the movie. And he's just putting all over the course. And Patrick Cantley still has not pulled the trigger. Um, I don't know how they can fix this. It's I feel bad that he's taking so much heat because he's definitely, he's not the slowest, but there was an interview with him today where he was basically like having to explain himself, but he's, he's keeping up with the group ahead of you. Mm -hmm. So I know you guys have, played in plenty of tournaments I have when you're keeping up with the group ahead of you what else is there to do I mean you can take your time and your process but like do you guys have any uh, I'll start with Mackenzie do you have any like pace of play stories that come to mind like yeah no I mean I have no problem with pace of play I'm a very fast player um but one year I don't I'm sure Amanda remembers this at the Colorado Open I was in a group with, in, and my now husband, he was my boyfriend at the time, was caddying for me, and we got a warning because we were falling behind. But it wasn't me. It was the slow girl in the group. And I, I mean, she was so slow. It was like painfully slow. And the marshal came over and said, this is your uh, official warning for uh, slow pace of play. Uh, you will be tested in by the time in three holes or something along those lines, or you all will receive a penalty stroke. And I was like, you're freaking kidding me. I am the fastest player like at this golf tournament. Like I'll be darned if I'm getting a penalty stroke. So I, I looked at Jonathan and I'm like, we bet we're picking it up. Even though I'm not the slow person, like this girl was it took forever for her to read putts. It was obnoxious. And so long story short, you know, we all, after the marshal left, we all looked at each other and we're like, look, we need to pick this up because I'm, I was playing well. And I was like, and 
they were not playing that great. And I think that's probably why they were like trying to be extra like careful. And I'm like, no, like you need to step it up and like, let's move on and keep going. And we, as soon as they timed us, like when we got to that third hole, they said we had made up the time and we were good to go. And I was like, literally my heart was pounding the whole time waiting until we got there. Cause this girl was like, and then she hit it into the trees on one of the holes. And I'm like, that's it. We're done. That's it. We're getting penalized because you can't keep it in the fairway. And yeah, but we were fine. We ended up being fine. So. <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the slowest round you've ever played time-wise? Uh, mostly charity events are the longest, I would say. Normal rounds of golf, I would say five hours, you know, like if it's a really terrible Saturday, you know, in Arizona, sure, it could be five hours, but I've done one charity golf tournament that was literally seven and a half hours, and I walked off the golf course because I, that is just outrageous. So that's it. That's it for me. Amanda, how about you? Yeah, I think as far as pace of play, I mean, we've all been in like what Mackenzie was just describing. Um, I think that's a really poor poor rule in golf where they're going to, I think for pure laziness on some tours or like a lack of help, they just say, we're going to give the whole group a penalty. And I've been issued a penalty due to the whole group being slow. Um, but what they should be doing is timing each individual. And so bigger events and bigger sanctioned events will send like a, whoever's doing like rules officials out to actually time your allotted time to make sure, because I'm with Mackenzie, I'm a very fast player like her and I, we just, especially when we're not playing competitively, like people can be talking like, and I'm hitting, I like, (laughs) we're moving on and people go, Oh my gosh, I didn't know you were going to hit that fast. So I was talking and I'm like, I I don't care. Like I'm, I'm going to keep moving. So I think that rule as far as pace of play is, is very poor. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also, I just, like I said, I think the staffing wise on the smaller, like smaller events, it's very sad when I see a whole group get a penalty and I know which girl is the problem. Um, as far as Patrick Cantlay, like, I think what makes me really sad about this is one, he's not the only player. Um, but two, Kepka had such a fit over it and drew all of this attention to him that, and I like Kepka, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, but I also don't, Cantlay and Hovland were right up against the group waiting just like Kepka was. So the fact that he wanted to blame one person put all of this heat on Cantlay. And I don't know which video you saw, but one of the videos I saw stirring around wasn't even Cantlay. It was, they were saying it was him, but then like, if you went into the comment, cause I was like, that's not him. And so it was like a, uh, what do you call it? Like the next tour down the, you corn know, fairy. some random guy. Yeah. The corn fairy player that I didn't know, but it, I was like, that's not Patrick. Like that doesn't look like him. So I think with that, with the internet, we got to be careful. And it really is a bummer for him because he's taking all the heat when I could name 15 players that probably take, you know, I mean, we all know like the Keegan Bradley situation who's looking up and older every three seconds when he's putting. I mean, it's the same thing. So you could spin it anyway. Um, I just feel bad for the guy. But overall, I don't know how to fix it. 
if you're keeping up with the group in front of you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you would fix it. I mean, it's, I get it from, I mean, it all started with that, the masters, basically those last two final groups and yeah, I kept coming out of spoken out of turn a little bit, but you're in twosomes and you're playing in five and a half hours. I know. I don't, I don't know if they need to space out the tee times more. It's, I was racking my brain on this is like, if you've made them like 20 minutes apart, would you still catch the group ahead of you? Um, like that's obviously drastic, but I've played plenty. I mean, this is one of the reasons I stopped playing city ams and, and like pro-ams um, when I was playing because I've played like the Oxnard city in Los Angeles. That was a seven and a half hour round and they gave us carts at the turn so that we could finish before the sun went down. Which is the most wild thing I've ever seen. I had a caddy. Like, it was the most wild thing. I mean, I'm okay with it, but I don't know. I, I'm i always one that I prefer to walk when I play in tournaments because I don't get a flow when I'm in a cart. So sure. I, I actually was, like, against it. I didn't really want to take it, but the sun was going down. So I kind of had to just agree to it. Um but I feel I feel for the guys because social media yeah. just tries to take it a little too far. Um, you should definitely be able to. I mean, they're talking about Fitzpatrick this week, and he is definitely a fast player in his pre-shot routine. But I played with plenty of guys, and it is the hardest conversation to have. If they're playing well, you can't tell them no. to speed it up. Patrick Cantley is one of the best golfers in the world. And he has his process, and it's it's hard to watch at times. But how am I going to tell him you need to speed it up when he's like eighteen under in four days? Yeah, <laughs> there's no, it's, there's no it's way. It's tough. Yeah, it's very tough. And I think my biggest issue um, is that it's like anything because you said, well, you know, if we space the tee times out further, do they then like absorb that time as well? But I think they do, and I think. The only way you fix pace of play is you stop allowing it to be that way. And I think for the men's tour, especially, you don't see this as much as on the LPGA for pace of play. It's the PGA tour. They allow it. They give this sort of like you're on a pedestal and, oh, we can't tell Tiger Woods that he can't take five and a half hours, just like you had said. But why can't you? Hey, this is the rule of the tour. I don't care. Like, this is the rule, and you will be assessed a penalty. And I guarantee even the slow guys, like the Keegans and the Cantleys and the Fitzpatricks, they pick it up. But you've allowed them to get to this point. I mean, do we do we reduce the size of the field? I don't know. I think the LPGA fields are a little smaller, so maybe that helps. Um, but we play in threesomes. Right. So... <laughs> there's got to be a way maybe we just turn it into four nine <laughs> and, uh, and just i mean maybe more people would watch it if it's only two or three hours maybe. i don't know i tried watching the live where it was like a full shotgun they don't run out of people to show which is nice but I don't, it's not any faster. Right. They still play in five yeah. hours. So yeah. um, let's give everybody a scooter and see if they go faster. 
I actually rode one of those last weekend okay. for the first time. Thank you. Bless you. Um, I actually rode one of those scooters for the first time this past weekend, uh, which I don't know. I don't think it gave me as much enjoyment as I was expecting. Like I kind of, I have an electric bike at home. So it kind of just felt like I was riding yeah. one of those, um, mm -hmm. with like a really uncomfortable seat and really just squirrely steering. Like I almost took that thing into a bunker <laughs> a few times. Um, it's fun. You can like, I was definitely like ripping that thing around, but it's definitely, uh, a little sketchy. Wouldn't recommend it for anyone that's like over age 50. Um, it, it's also kind of hard to like put the, the kickstand and stuff. It's like heavy. Oh, yeah. So like for Mackenzie and I, we're not these big buff golf guys out there. And I noticed a couple times, like by whole nine, I was kind of tired. I was like, I'm worn mm -hmm. out from having to like, literally stand my bike there <laughs> yeah the the marshal told me to not wheelie the bike and it took me about five seconds to be like there's no way you can wheelie this thing it is so heavy and it <laughs> had like the worst kit they like made the kickstand into a shape of like a little driver <laughs> head so it's oh gosh super like it, it's not practical at all mm -hmm. um and yeah you're you're exhausted. Like I sat down in the cart that my buddies were riding in and I was like, wow, this is nice. I can sit down for right. a second. So take a break, for, take a break. Yeah. So for all you trying to ride those scooters out there, they're fun, but you're definitely uh, in for a little bit more exercise than you were planning. Um, so pace of play. I don't know how we can fix it. I feel bad for the guy. We're going to, we're going to start a GoFundMe <laughs> to, to start, to start That's what he needs. That's what he needs. Um, so anyway, let's, let's talk about how you guys started backswing together. Um, I did do a little bit of research on you guys. You were in a Forbes article uh, back in, I think it was 2015, 2016, something like mm -hmm. that. Um, but I can give some stats here real quick. Uh, it looks like in 2016, you guys had 60 ish events, 2017, 85 events, 2019 jumped to 450, 2020 over 700. And then obviously the, uh, the thing that we try not to talk about anymore, COVID hit and kind of <laughs> changed some things, but now you guys are looking at over 2,500 events throughout the country. Like give us an idea of, of, where you guys started and how it's progressed and, and a step into the future. I, I think when Amanda and I started this, we were like, Oh, this is fun. And this is like, we get to go out and work these events. Like I would book them. Amanda would go out and work them. She still was playing full time. I had, you know, I put my clubs aside and needed a break from professional golf. And so we kind of had this little dynamic duo go in and, um, and then fast forward and you blink. And now it's like, we have almost 250 like pros that are working events for us. And we're able to help them chase their dreams of playing on the LPGA. But when we started, it was really to just help ourselves. Like we were still, you know, kind of, yeah toying with chasing the, that dream and 
well, did we know that pro all these pros were like, oh my gosh, well, can I work for you? Can I work for you? And we were like, I guess, sure. You know, <laughs> it was just, it's, it's surreal. I mean, I, and I don't think we take a step back a lot to like look at it as a, as a whole. And I, I worked an event a couple of days ago and I was like, man, like, this is so cool on what we've built and like where we are and how many people we're able to serve and not just the pros, but like the charity piece. And I think we didn't, we weren't really thinking about that in the beginning. Now the impact that we're making at these golf tournaments is not just for these pros, but it's for these charities and it's, it's a huge deal. So. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll elaborate on that because when we started, yeah, like Mackenzie said, we just, you know, I say this in every interview that we ever talk about this, but we were a lemonade stand. We put up a little lemon lemonade stand and we thought this is going to be great for a little bit and like to get us through some, you know, some playing costs and, and cool. We help a couple charities and um, we just really didn't have any grasp on where we would end up and where we're still headed. I think even in my brain today, I just was doing some work and I was thinking, gosh, like, Fast forward five years from now, like, you know, it's just, it's crazy. It changes so vastly. So um, we, every once in a while, we force ourselves to take a look at what we've done so far because you get caught up in the moment where you're just constantly going. And it's like, well, wait a minute. When we started, we thought 60, I remember when we thought 60 events was like, whoa, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> and here we are. So how many events do you guys do individually, like per year? Like about, we work that we work. I probably do 10. Okay. Yeah, I do anywhere. I mean, it varies, but probably like 10 to 20, somewhere in there. Um, we fill in where we have to and or we have a couple favorites that we just love and we want to go see our old cronies. <laughs> right. right. Um, well, I think we've reached our section of questions of the week. Amanda, were you able to get some questions from some of your followers from? I got some good ones. McKinsey can chime in on these. <laughs> um, so the question like I always get, I, I don't know why this is a repeat question, but the biggest challenge you have faced as a business owner in the golf world um so i'll give my answer and then mckinsey can throw in as well um i would say the biggest challenge i feel that i've faced personally is that is patience because i want everything to be perfect and like i'm very structured and i want like the info that we release to our pros i want it to be like spotless well with our industry everyday things are changing and evolving so I go back to the drawing board every single day to make changes. And I always feel that like, gosh, why didn't I have this nailed down yesterday? But it's because three more variables came into play. So um, I've had to learn patience and that it's okay to keep evolving. It doesn't have to be perfect from day one. So, Ken, I would say being, being, taken seriously um as a business and i think finally we've hit that point um and even still like i i have an event that i booked for next month and 
when I was talking to the guy, he was like, is this your full-time gig? And I'm like, yeah, this is my full-time gig. Like we're going to do 2,500 golf tournaments this year. And he was like, what? I'm like, yeah. You know, like I feel like for a long time, Amanda and I had to like kind of prove ourselves and like prove the, the company. And like, you know, I even still on phone calls, like this is a legit company. Like this is, we have a lot of people working for us and it's, you know, impacting so many people's lives. And I think people just kind of think this is just a fun mm -hmm. little thing that we do on the side. And that's just simply not the case. So I think that is the biggest, I guess, you know, hurdle or things, but I've stopped worrying about it. I used to worry a, a lot about it and be like, gosh, they don't even, they don't even know. They don't even know what we're doing. But in reality, like who cares? Like we know what we're doing. We know who we're impacting and that's really all that matters. Right. Right. It makes me yeah. think of uh, when I was playing in college, our coach would always just say, just play well, <laughs> like everything else yeah, will yeah. kind of just figure in. itself yeah. out. Um, everything kind of just falls into place. I've been really on this kick lately of whenever something doesn't go the way I want it or something stressful, like I tell myself it's, it's only temporary, right? Everything yeah. kind of goes in waves. And there's something I saw with like, I think it was Tom Hanks, some weird circle wasn't weird, but kind of an awesome circle chat with Tom Hanks and some other celebrities. You guys have probably seen it. And it's like this too yeah. shall pass. Like, even if it's good or bad. Like, like you said, Amanda, you kind of have to just be patient, which you would think as golfers, we would be patient because we're out there for five and a we're half We're just hours. not. We're, <laughs> I, we're human, right? But that's probably something I get all the time is like, you can play for five hours and not get bored. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still impatient as hell. Um, no, that's very cool. Uh, what... What's another question we got? Um, so the other one that um, I I definitely don't mind talking about because I talk about this on my other radio show and I'm very outspoken about it. My opinion on Live Golf Tour and just kind of everything that has gone on over the past you know year or two. Um, and I I'm all for Live Golf. I think it is great for the golf community. Um, I know a lot of people don't feel that way, but I do. I don't think they are replacing the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour is very traditional based and that is traditional golf and go golf will always be a traditional sport. I think live is so like McKenzie and I when in backswing, we talk about like competitors and things, but they're not competitors if they're doing things and they're doing it differently. So to us, we just keep doing our thing and we're fine. So I feel it's the same way. Live Tour came in to do something completely different, right? Shotgun party out on there, like totally different atmosphere to draw a different type of crowd. And I think it's great. I think now you have so many more people watching golf in general and they can watch both and still stay traditional. And it's great. Love it. So one of the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast was it the live conversation right and how it's great for the game i agree it really boosts the men's side but it there hasn't been any talk of the women's side and i hope and there should be some sort of um portion for women on the live side but that was really what drove me to this whole thing was like that story needs to be told there's a lot there that hasn't been said and I get it to a certain degree, 
Um, and I'm totally in agreement with live being something to grow the game. I just think they did it mm -hmm. in probably the worst way. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. Um, like if you wanted to go in and piss as many people off as possible, they did it the right way. Right. But right. for me, I love watching golf and I haven't been able to push myself to watch live because it's not as easily available as just turning on my TV and and start like they got with cw now but even then it's like they didn't start off like i'm gonna partner with a tv provider mm -hmm. get it out there either put it on golf channel like get some people behind you before you start yeah. just poking at yeah. established um tours and they've gotten better i think over the last six months you've kind of seen it withdraw a little mm -hmm. bit um and you're mm -hmm. starting to see i think the masters was a great thing to get so i mean there was four people in the top 10 from on the live tour mm -hmm. i mean it's good to see that they're still competitive i think it, it was good for live it was good for golf yeah um yeah but they could have yeah just eased it in a little bit more. I think it also, and I don't know, obviously I'm not in it, but I think it, the story came out before it was ready to come out. And that's kind of what snowballed the Phil issue and then the Gary Player issue and like all of these things. But I think it, I really do feel like someone leaked it before everybody's ducks were in the row because uh, even Greg Norman was like, this wasn't supposed to happen this way. So, but who knows? <laughs> Mackenzie, any thoughts? I feel the exact same way as Amanda, to be honest with you. So I don't really have much to add on it, but I think anything that is evolving, like is going to continue to grow the game. So I, I don't really have like a strong opinion one way or another, but I, I mean, I, I do agree. So. All right. And Amanda, you got one more for us before we. Everybody always asks, I, we, I feel like we covered this, but everybody always asks why golf, like where, and for me, I mean, I shared, like I, it was kind of by accident and I know McKenzie, which I love McKenzie's story of her tell why she started playing golf. <laughs> Cause that's a really cute story. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I started playing golf because one of my best friends in high school played on the golf team and he lived on a golf course across the street from me and we'd be out there playing and he was like, Oh, you can't play golf. I'm like, I can play golf. Like, this is a dumb sport who like, who can't play golf. Like this is easy. And he was like, okay, let's play golf. I'm like, all right, great. So I went home and I told my dad that I was going to pick up golf and he was like, laughing at me because he had tried to get me to pick up golf for my entire life. And then this boy that I was good friends with was on the golf team. And I was like, no, I'm literally just doing this to show him that I can play on the golf team, you know? And sure enough, I tried out for the golf team my sophomore year of high school. I was 16 and I think I shot 45 and it was my first nine holes I've ever played in my entire life. And I got home and I was like, I think I'll play golf. I think this is, I think this is good. <laughs> Dad's like, okay, great. So, you know, 
fast forward, obviously, I, I played um, sophomore, junior year, senior year in high school. And then I went off and played golf at Kent State University. And then I moved out to Phoenix and obviously played professionally for a short period. And uh, now I'm here. So, um, but yeah, it was a very, very funny story. And yeah, he always, I talked about it in my big break interview when we were talking, because that's the question they ask. And he always likes the, you know, that he was the one who kind of kickstarted me into golf. And so it's pretty fun. I also think that uh, both Mackenzie and I, th the reason we connected so quickly when we did meet, um, I think one, we had started around, you know, at 16. So we weren't burnout yet. We weren't like, oh, we've been doing this. I, I see that all the time, the burnout. But also we just could connect over. We had very similar stories in the sense of like, we haven't been doing this our whole lives. Everybody looked at us like the underdog all the time. What do you mean? And our coaches looked at us like the underdogs in college and like just all of those things. Um, so I think that's what helped us connect so quickly when we did meet. And then we were like, oh, shoot, like we can travel and not get on each other's nerves. <laughs> this must be something. So here we are. That's hard to find. I uh, I can speak from experience. <laughs> you got to find a good travel buddy or, or you're riding solo. Yes. Um, yes. I'm going to go a little deeper than, than those a little bit, but I started playing because of my grandpa and my dad when I was probably five or six. Um, they both played something in college. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind as I was growing up to play something. My dad was a soccer player. My grandpa played baseball. So I always knew there was some sort of expectation to play something. So I played soccer and golf and I was a little better at golf. So went with what I was better at. Um, but I think what ultimately now, not that I'm that much older now, but retrospect gives you a lot of perspective, I guess. But uh, now it's like every round for me feels like an, a great opportunity for a new memory. And I think that's something that golf has yeah. that no other sport has. Yeah. You're going out to play. Like I played last weekend with some guys that don't really, don't really play golf that well. Like they're basically beginners, but we had some of the best memories that yeah. we can draw on for yeah. years to come. It doesn't matter your skill level. It doesn't matter where you're playing. I mean, somebody makes a long putt, somebody chips it in. Mm -hmm somebody has a mm -hmm. hole in one, whatever it might be, you have an opportunity every time you tee it up to make a great memory. And I think that's what keeps me coming back. Yeah. Like yeah. time yeah. and time again. Um, because I definitely get frustrated out there and have too high of expectations <laughs> as everyone does, but um, no, super great questions from, from Amanda. I'm really thankful for you guys to come on the first episode. Do you guys have any final thoughts for today? This line on my other show is keep swinging for par. So <laughs> that's it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we'll, we'll end it here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Follow us at birdie me underscore the podcast 
and at Backswing Golf Events. We will reconvene next week for episode two with our new special guest. Uh, thank you guys so much. We'll, we'll see you next time.